This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and welcome to Self Work. This is Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I began Self Work three and a half years ago in order to reach people who are very comfortable with psychological and emotional issues and simply want to delve more deeply. To those of you who've been initially diagnosed with depression or anxiety and are looking for answers, maybe you're having relationship problems that you just can't seem to work through, but there's also a third group, and I've actually heard from many of you the group that wouldn't necessarily darken the door of a therapist, but is interested enough to listen to a podcast. So welcome to all of you. And I have a special welcome to today's sponsor, BetterHelp, the number one online provider for video, text, or simply talk therapy designed to help you through whatever self-work is important for you. More later about BetterHelp. Today's episode was actually sparked by a listener telling me that she'd been sexually abused, and she's now dissociating, which means her mind is taking her someplace else and trying to protect her, but she's dissociating during sexual intercourse with her very loving husband, who knows about the abuse, but hasn't a clue about what she's truly experiencing. How could she open up to him? We'll be focusing on both revealing abuse, but also emotions or experiences you've so far kept to yourself. But you also know that perhaps that secret is having an effect on you and your relationship. So it's important to tell. I'll outline seven steps to create the safest place for you to reveal. I want you to listen carefully, however, because we are going to be talking about sexual abuse. And if you have sexual abuse in your history, please listen with care. I've included the hotline for sexual abuse in the show notes. The listener email deals with a topic that's really kind of hard to discuss, how you trust a therapist about confidentiality. We'll talk about that at the end of the broadcast. But now, let's talk about how to talk about your past and seven steps where you can create safety. Most of us were punished if we didn't tell the truth as children, but ironically, many children are living a truth and being abused or neglected and are also told not to tell their reality. What's important to understand is the reason behind that and how that's different from actual lying. Let's talk about lying just for a second. You can decide not to tell the complete truth by commission, meaning an intentional choice to say something that you know isn't the truth or not real. Or you can lie by omission. You simply leave something out, again, quite intentionally. You could also call this withholding information. But for it to be called a lie, the intent has to be to deceive. Now, we know not all relationships begin with a choice to be totally honest. That'd be highly naive to believe otherwise. But not all lies are equal, perhaps. Whether it's shaving a few years off your age or not mentioning something you were arrested for that's now off your record or saying you only drink socially when you go home almost every night and have a few beers, those are increasing in their potential for harm. But as a therapist, I've heard some pretty horrendous secrets. Everything from an entire second family simultaneously existing, basically a parent leading a double life, to repeatedly saying you were an all-star baseball player as a kid when you barely made the normal club team, or telling your family that you've received your master's and when they show up for the ceremony, mysteriously, it's been called off. But there are perhaps less dramatic but ever so significant things that we simply sometimes are reticent to share. 
not telling someone you were abused by your ex, or never revealing a suicide attempt. But there's a huge difference between when you lie intentionally with the intent to deceive and you don't share your truth due to fear, insecurity, or shame. Many of us don't reveal our truth because there's tremendous vulnerability involved. There's a significant fear or doubt about what would happen if anyone knew. So fear is the basis for the decision. There can also be fear about what kind of response you'll receive, especially if you're partnered with someone who can be extremely critical or doesn't have the capacity to be empathic or that simply won't believe you. That will only hurt more if you do try to tell your secret so you keep it. Maybe your pride gets in the way and you don't want anyone to feel sorry for you. This choice can be built on so many things. As a consequence of abuse or neglect, a child or adult can absorb so much shame that they feel as if someone else will blame them, see whatever happened as their fault. I should have stopped. I should have told a teacher. Or let's not minimize that you might have been told awful horrors would happen if you told your truth. And though you may know as an adult that those were threats to keep you silent, to control you, the choice of silence seems so much easier in a way. But this particular listener was talking about dissociation, meaning her mind actually took her somewhere else where she'd be safe. This happened as her abuse was occurring as a child, but it can still happen as an adult. In fact, to this particular listener, she was getting triggered when trying to have a normal sexual relationship with her spouse. And he didn't know she was being triggered. What does that mean? You can dissociate when you're triggered, meaning some sensory, physical, or emotional detail has stuck in your mind about your past abuse. And then something about the process of intercourse itself is causing you to react to that stimulus. But this can happen not, obviously, just inside of intercourse. I worked with someone whose abuse had happened on a farm, and every time she drove past a barn, it was very difficult, especially if it were red. It was very difficult for her not to be triggered. But if you decide that you don't want to keep a secret anymore and you want to know how to talk to your partner about it, today we'll get to seven steps to create the safest environment you can to do just that. For info on dissociation abuse, there's a wonderful book by Bessel van der Kolk called The Body Keeps the Score, which describes in detail how our minds and bodies remember things that we perhaps don't consciously. There's a link in the show notes. What follows next is the discussion of the seven steps to create a safe place for this very vital conversation. But first, I want to tell you about a special offer from SelfWork's very first sponsor, BetterHelp. I was delighted when BetterHelp reached out to me as a potential sponsor. What exactly is BetterHelp? BetterHelp is an online therapy service that will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's not a crisis line. It's not really self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. I also tried this out, of course, for my self-work listeners, and I was very impressed with the two counselors I tried. There's a broad range of expertise, and you're actually matched to the therapist that they believe will work best for you. You can have video sessions, phone sessions, you can text, and actually it's much less expensive than quote-unquote normal therapy. And BetterHelp is rated number one by so many platforms that specialize in trying to help you find the best therapy online for you. There's a special offer for self-work listeners where you get 10% off your first month at trybetterhelp.com slash self-work. That's trybetterhelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash self-work. You can begin getting help today. 
and I highly recommend it. So give it a try. Welcome back. Abuse or neglect creates a huge struggle with esteem and worth. And this can bring up the fear that you'll be seen as used goods or dirty if you reveal that your brother molested you over and over again, or your mother played with your penis and had you perform oral sex on her. Those of you who know I've researched the defensive strategy of hiding pain through perfectionism know that this can also be a way of staying away from the pain of trauma, completely suppressing or almost completely emotional pain from the past. So you don't reveal because you can't stand the idea of being seen as vulnerable then or now. Or you've discounted or denied what happened so much that you've convinced yourself it didn't matter. That is a definite problem in and of itself. But let's focus on how you open up about a past that for whatever reason you've not chosen to reveal thus far. And you also have darker feelings perhaps than you've ever shared, all connected to whatever the experience is. Maybe your spouse knows about the facts of what happened to you or maybe not. But what about if those experiences actually caused you to have thoughts of hurting yourself? For the sake of this discussion, I'll assume that your relationship with your partner is fairly healthy and good, that not telling was more about your own fear or shame, not about their own characteristics. Dissociation is not a characteristic of all abuse, so you may have experiences in your past that you're not dissociating from, but you still want to tell your spouse. A very early episode of Self Work, 007, actually talked about the choice of whether to reveal or not, so you might check out that episode. How do you begin to reveal your truth? The overarching principle here is to not re-victimize yourself during the process of revealing. I can't say that enough. Listen to your heart and your gut. Only go as fast as you can. This isn't a time to push, but to allow. It can often, in therapy, take several sessions before someone's story is complete. And since you're telling your partner, then that process can be more complex. So what's the first step? First, you talk about talking. I always suggest to people that when they're planning a difficult discussion, to first bring the other person into the seriousness or emotional nature of what you want to talk about. You're communicating about an upcoming communication. It's like sending a memo to your work colleagues. Please come to the meeting Friday morning ready to talk about how you believe the company could be improved, something like that, but obviously much more personal. Something like... I want to tell you something about me and my life that I've not been able to share until now, and it's not going to be easy for me. So when and where could we plan to be alone together just for a period of time where I could have your attention? I'd like to plan that. Now, they might need some reassurance that you're not about to ask for a divorce or tell them about an affair. But if your relationship is good, then the two of you can make a plan. It's the first step toward creating a safe environment for yourself. Rather than one night, you impulsively decide to talk about it, and then your partner or your friend or whomever doesn't respond in the way you wanted. So you regret saying anything, and it can end creating a lot of chaos for you. Second, now that you're in your safe space with your partner, or maybe that could happen in front of a therapist if need be, ask them to do their best to not make what you're about to say about them or your relationship. Whether this is telling about abuse or darker feelings that you've struggled with, the point is that you've been too ashamed to reveal. If your partner is someone who tends to blame themselves for things or take too much responsibility, they can jump to the conclusion that they're the reason you've kept the secret or that you haven't wanted to tell them. So a simple request that they listen without making it about them can be helpful. 
They want to listen to learn more about you. The third step is to realize that you may not be able to reveal everything all at once. In fact, it may come out in pits and pieces. As we said a few minutes ago, you don't want to re-victimize yourself. So you can tell them, I may not be able to share everything today, but I want to make this step. I'm ready because it's lonely and I'm lonely. And I know you love me. That's why I trust you or your own version of those words that may be a little too therapy sounding. Go at your own pace. If your partner pushes, ask them to please stop. Fourth, if telling about abuse, you may not want to tell them who your abuser was. For example, what if abusers were family members or people that you both know? This can make things more complicated. Or if it was a former spouse, obviously these people may still be in your life. You've handled it somehow. You've learned not to be around them or how to function in their presence, perhaps not in a healthy way, but you've dealt. You're not quite sure how your partner will respond now to that family member or ex. So they'll be curious, but you can tell your partner you're not quite ready for that that you've got to take this slowly and talk about how both of you want to handle it. The fifth step is to ask for what you need. If your partner stays a lot in their head or are more rational and not so good with emotions, this could be hard. Even though you know they love you, tenderness is not something that comes easily to them. So, again, ask for what you need. You can say, I know this is a lot, but I need right now for you to tell me you love me and hug me right now. If they start problem-solving, Ask them to simply listen and not judge. It's so easy to get frustrated and feel like this isn't going to work. Because again, remember, your partner doesn't know this fact about you and may not know the depth of the feelings you have about it. So you have to give them time to embrace this new truth. They're going to hurt for you and they may not know what to do. So You can tell them. This is why sometimes it's good for this conversation to happen in front of a therapist, because a therapist can help you do that. The sixth step is to know you're going to feel very vulnerable and very sensitive to their reaction. I remember a woman I saw many years ago at Ozark Guidance Center here in Northwest Arkansas, and I've told this story before, but she came in to tell me about her own sexual abuse from her father. The second session, she told me very painfully, And with a lot of tears, and this was not a woman who cried easily, believe me, that her father had made her do terrible things to her brother. The third session, she canceled. When I called her back, she said, oh, I'm doing really much better. And I said, well, come on in. We'll talk about it just for at least one more session. So she did. And she looked at me and she said, I had feared all my life what someone would look like when they heard the words that I had sexually abused my brother. I was made to, but I'd still done it. I was so afraid of their judgment. And the part of me that hated what I'd done, I was afraid I would see in their face. And when I told you, all I saw was acceptance and affirmation and empathy. You have to remember that a therapist is trained to hear about trauma and knows how to respond. Your partner might not. They might get angry, not at you, but for you. So you have to admit that you're very sensitive to their reaction And again, ask them to slow down and simply be with you in that moment. Here's the seventh and last step. So my first statement about it is going to sound a little funny because it's really your first step. If you're talking about a specific problem such as dissociating, the two of you can help you by adjusting the way you have sex. Again, this is very specific to sexual abuse. 
for example, I worked with someone whose abuser had a very hairy chest. So we worked with her husband at first as she asked him to always wear a T-shirt so she wouldn't get as triggered. You could get triggered by the smell of alcohol, the sound of steps on a stairway, being held down. So you may need to educate your partner about your triggers as well as you recognize them and then he or she can help you deal with them when they come up. Perhaps you had a family member or good friend killed in a tornado. And so when high winds come or when tornadoes are in the area, you feel very vulnerable and get triggered. If your partner knows that, they can help you. If the secret you're telling them is about darker, scarier feelings you might have from time to time, obviously your partner is going to be very concerned but not know what to do to help. You have to reassure them that you just want their support for going to therapy or talking with them about it. It helps to talk, but there are no quick fixes. That's why this is a first step. It's good for these conversations to happen over time, and they will only increase your sense of understanding and trust. So please realize telling your partner is no replacement for healing the wounds within you. Sometimes you'll have realizations beyond the abuse as you remembered it, but other memories may come. Often you're going to feel fear now that the secret is out. You'll feel vulnerable and exposed. You finally climbed over the barriers of fear and shame. But if you've never worked on your own healing, there could be many more layers to understand and connect with safely. If you have those feelings, work with a therapist can be life-altering. Please let this be your first step, but not your last. The listener email today starts out talking about her identification with perfectly hidden depression and her journey to that identification, but she also talks about a very realistic problem that people have talked to me about, not trusting their therapist. Her email begins this way. My mother has bipolar, and I've seen her struggle with depression my whole life. I feel as though my understanding of what depression is has stemmed from my personal experience with this. Previously, I've looked back on my life and been relieved that although I've been through a lot, I was strong, independent, successful, and not depressed. At times, I didn't always feel this way, and I would do Google searches to try and find out what I was missing, why I was so different. No matter how much searching I did, the answer I always got was that I wasn't depressed and had no other mental health issues. I was a successful perfectionist. I got out of bed early each morning, exercised and ate extremely well. I've held down a successful full-time job while attending graduate school full-time. I was married, volunteered with the local mentoring program and community meal program, and attended church each Sunday. I hosted dinner parties, attended fundraisers, and donated to every worthy cause I could. Several years ago, I left a difficult marriage after 10 years, being married since I was 18. Upon recommendation from my pastor, I went to a psychologist And as with every other therapist and doctor I've been to growing up, she congratulated me on my strength and motivation and told me she didn't feel as though I needed a second session. I could tell my pastor I was doing well and my mental health was extremely stable. However, on the most recent Google search, I found your website. On your checklist for perfectly hidden depression, I scored 24 out of 25. When reading further your published articles, it sounded like they were written just for me. I live in a small town in Australia. Unfortunately, professionals here often breach confidentiality, and I'm extremely dubious about speaking with them. The small town gossip is often unbearable. I was wondering if you had any suggestions as to what I should look for in a psychologist if I were researching the best local professional to see. 
So this was sort of two questions in one. At least it identified her journey to perfectly hidden depression, a story I've heard frequently. And if you're interested in that checklist for perfectly hidden depression, I'll have the post for that in the show notes. But let me get back to her answer. Hi, I hope that you've begun the book and that it's beginning to shed some light on what can be an intricately entangled issue. Sadness, loneliness, even despair cloaked by the perfect-looking life. The therapist you saw made a common mistake. They didn't look hard enough. And your experience is exactly what I'm most concerned about, that people who risk finally telling will be told nothing's wrong. You're great. So please know you're taking a huge step by writing to me and ordering the book. I'm so sorry about the issue of confidentiality in your town. I've seen patients myself that might have driven from other towns for a similar reason, and I don't know if that's available where you are. I know Australia is a huge country. With telehealth therapists growing, you might try that route as well. But certainly a breach in confidentiality should never happen, and it's grossly unethical. I've got a couple of ideas. You might ask your friends who they've seen, and I know with Perfectly Hidden Depression that's hard. But if you've read the book, that's what I'm going to suggest anyway, that you tell at least one friend. So often they might have ideas about who's trustworthy. But let's go back to the therapist you saw. If you trusted them, you might try this. Go for one more session and take the book with you. Educate her about your issue. Maybe the two of you could actually do some good work if her eyes are opened. Obviously, I don't know, but it's an idea. And remember, therapists don't have crystal balls. So if she were asking you the classic questions about depression and you answered them in a way that you could, you know, do you ever feel hopeless? No. Do you ever feel helpless? No. But those aren't the questions. If you ever felt hopeless, would you tell? No. That's the question she didn't ask you. She didn't know to ask you. And that's the question you might need to educate her about to say, I'm not who I seem to be. And actually, it might do a lot of good for you as well. Practicing the decision to reveal. Good luck to you and take care. So sometimes if something goes amiss with a therapist, again, we're human beings. Maybe we're having a bad day. And I know that it's a very difficult relationship to trust for many, and I understand that. I've been in therapy too much myself to know that that's not easy. But often when someone comes back to a session with me and says, you know that thing you said last week? That didn't make sense to me. Or... I really got angry at what you said, or I was disappointed in the way you responded to me. We can get over that hurdle because I'm going to make mistakes. Other therapists are going to make mistakes. But if we know and we work through it, then the relationship can be even stronger and more helpful. Thank you so much for being here. In the show notes today, I have the links for The Body Keeps the Score, but also The Courage to Heal Workbook by Laura Davis and The Courage to Heal Workbook for Partners called Allies for Healing might be helpful to those of you who have sexual abuse in your past. I'm excited to have better help on board and want to thank them again for sponsoring this episode. For those of you who've left ratings and reviews, I so want to thank you. If you're reading Perfectly Hidden Depression or you've bought a copy and plan to read, when you're finished, please leave a rating or review on Amazon. I cannot tell you the difference it makes. And for those of you who are leaving ratings and reviews, wherever you listen to the podcast, it gives me a smile to read them when I see them. Thank you so very much. 
There are a lot of ways of getting in touch with me. You can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I read them all. I may not respond to all of them, but I will respond as best I can here on the podcast. You also can come and subscribe on my website, drmargaretrutherford.com. That way you're going to get a newsletter every week that contains this podcast as well as a weekly blog post. So it's a really easy way of keeping in touch with me. And I don't send you anything else, I promise. I actually also have a closed Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. And I'm on Instagram. I have fun over there. So I would love for you to join me there as well. My gratitude for your presence here today. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been self